All right, good morning, Heartland. Those of you in the room, thank you so much for being here, taking your time out of a, a gorgeous uh, summer day. Those of you watching, tuning in online, special shout out to uh, Ashley hanging out with Ava. Love you, baby girl. I'll see you later today. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Before I get going this morning, I have a quick caveat. Uh, which is that the the main uh, like foundation of the sermon this morning that I'm going to be talking about was 100% created by and inspired by my lovely wife, Lindsay. Uh, she has a speaking engagement coming up later this fall, and we were just kind of chatting, and she told me what she was thinking of talking about. And I was like, gosh darn, that's so brilliant. Can I steal that for Heartland? Um, and she said, yeah. She's like, you go ahead and steal it for Heartland so that you write it, and then I'll just take your writing and change it around. So this is how marriage works. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship. One writes it, one teaches it. So anyway, all of it inspired by Lindsay. And so if there's anything, as with most things that I say, if something brilliant comes out of my mouth, it was probably Lindsay. So it wasn't me. So just that. Um, so about five or six years ago, our daughter, uh, Ava, who at the time was, was five or six years old, she came home from school and she uh, asked Lindsay and I if we would want to play a game with her. Being the perfect parents that we are, we said, of course, baby, 100%, we would love to do that. Um, and so we sat down to play this game. The game she then taught us, which we'd never heard of before, uh, is called the Three Color Challenge. I don't know if you've ever heard of this game. In fact, we, we kept asking her, like, did you come up, did you invent this, or did you hear about it somewhere? She claimed she invented it, uh, but, you know, with most things five-year-olds say, we take it with a gigantic grain of salt, like a deer lick of salt. We kind of took that. We're like, are you sure? So we couldn't quite tell, like, did you hear this somewhere? Did you come up with it? We later found it. There's examples on YouTube and stuff that, that's out there. So, um, you know, I'm not sure. But for the sake of this morning, 100% my daughter Ava invented this game even though she probably did. So here's how the three-color challenge works. Um, you, you get together with as many people as you want to play with. You get a bunch of sheets of blank paper, um, and then as many different colored markers, crayons, uh, uh, colored pencils, whatever you want, as you can find, and put them in a, a bucket or a bag or whatever like that. Each person then is going to go around taking turns, choosing what you're all going to attempt to draw um, so from when I played, I, I said golf course. I'm like, let's draw, draw a golf course. Then each person closes their eyes, reaches in the bin or bucket or bag of colored pencils or markers, uh, and pulls out three different colors. They can't look at them. You just pull out three. And whatever those three colors are, you then have to use those three colors to attempt to draw whatever or color the picture that you came up with to draw. Okay, so that's the challenge. You get five minutes, everybody draws, and then at the end, you all vote who did the best picture. The challenge, as you can imagine, is to try to attempt to draw something with your three colors, uh, regardless of what those colors are, and try to make it make sense. So, for example, I chose golf course. I remember I drew the colors uh, blue, yellow, and green, which was perfect for a golf course. I, like, just lucked out hard. It was like you know, fairway and water hazard, which is where I usually am, and then like sand traps and stuff. So I just was able to do that, and I killed it. I was like, I did this so perfect. But if you were to get like orange, black, and weird brown, it'd be a different golf course. It would not be a golf course that, that you'd want to play in, let alone, you know, when Ava picked, it was like unicorn fairy Disneyland, and I'm like, I have these three colors to draw that or whatever. So that's the fun of the challenges. You have to try to draw, and then you vote. And sometimes, even if the colors didn't quite match up, that, that got the winning vote. So this morning... Uh, we're going to play the three-color challenge. 
So I'm going to need some volunteers. No, I'm not going to call anybody up. I promise. I'm not going to call anybody up. In fact, uh, being that, you know, she was the inspiration for this, I'm going to make my wife, Lindsay, play the three-color challenge. I'm going to invite her out in a minute. But before she comes, I, would, I just need from you to uh, choose three colors. That's all. So just, I need three colors shouted out, whatever you want them to be. Purple, orange, blue. Purple, orange, blue. Got it. Thank you, ma'am. I heard you. Uh, purple, orange, blue. Uh, purple, orange, and blue are the colors. Uh, would you all please welcome my lovely wife, Lindsay, as she comes out to the stage. She, she didn't want me to have you clap for her. That's why she's being shy. So, babe, come give a speech real quick. No, all right, we won't do that. All right. Well, uh, while Lindsay does the three-color challenge, if you would like to join me in reading our passage from Scripture this morning, you can join me in Judges chapter 6. It's on the Old Testament. We're going to old school today. We're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at portions from the account of Gideon. I don't know if you've heard of Gideon uh, and his account from Scripture. Uh, there's kind of two famous parts of Gideon's story that he's most well known for. He was a judge. He was a prophet that God had speak to the Israelites uh, on his behalf. And the two most well-known parts of his story, uh, one of which was when he asked God for a sign to confirm whether what God was telling him was true. He did this twice in a row involving fleece and dew and whether the fleece was wet or whether it was dry. The second thing that he's, I'd argue, maybe more, more, more famous for is that he led an army of God's people against another army uh, that was incalculable in number. And the army that he was leading, God reduced from about 32,000 down to 300 not including Gerard Butler. The movie is not based on this account. Down to 300 to march against the Midianites in which they were victorious. So this is probably the moment he was most famous for. And that's a pretty epic account. That's like pretty incredible that, you know, God was like, I'm sending you to lead this army against the Midianites. And again, it says they could not count them. There were too many uh, to even count the army that they were facing. He started out with only 32,000. He's like, all right, we are really outnumbered here, Lord. You're really going to have to come through. God's like, watch this. He began reducing his number again, down from 32,000 to him and 300 men, 300 warriors from Israel to go attack. So you would think Based on this account, you would think Gideon's life up until this point, you know, he trained like a career in the Hunger Games where he just like from the moment of birth was just like pounding protein shakes, doing like the John Cena workout, kale every day, whatever, like just getting ready for this like epic battle that he was going to face based on what God called him to. Well, let's check it out. We're going to jump in again. Judges 6 beginning in chapter or verse 1. It'll come up on the side screens for those of you that don't have it in front of you. Uh, it said the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, not that Oprah, I know it's different, um, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abazer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, 
the Lord is with you. Sir, replied Gideon, which I just, I laughed when I read that. Like, that's how you address an angel? Sir, that was, that was funny. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. That's how. I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. For a guy whose legacy is that God used him to defeat an army of incalculable number with only 300 soldiers, you'd think the beginning of his account of his story would be a little more dramatic, would be a little bit more impressive. But instead, Gideon was hiding, threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding from the very people God would lead him to eventually defeat, working as a farmer. Then God calls him, and he straight up argues with God, saying, no, I am not the one that you should send. But there's this one moment in the account that really stands out to me, and it's, it's uh, not later in Gideon's account. In, in this passage, there's this crazy moment, and it happens when the angel of the Lord first greets Gideon, aside from being greeted by an angel, which would be crazy, it's the way the angel greets him because what the angel of the Lord says is he addresses Gideon and he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What he doesn't say is, hey, farmer, God wants to change your calling. What he doesn't say is, hey, wussy guy hiding in the wine press threshing weed, God's got a new plan for you. Instead, he addresses them and immediately refers to him as mighty warrior. But Gideon was just a farmer, right? Well, not according to God. Today, I want to offer a perspective for each of us based on Gideon's account and based on the three-color challenge. Because each one of us have been given by God colored markers, and a picture to draw. We each have been gifted and created and called by God with a purpose. He has equipped and gifted every single one of us individually and uniquely with the colors that we were meant to live with and a picture to paint with our lives with those very colors. This is clear throughout Scripture. We're told in Ephesians 1.4 that God knew us before he laid the foundations of planet Earth. Psalm 139, we're told that God knit us together in our mother's womb. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that he has given each one of us gifts by his Holy Spirit. Not just talents and skills, although those are part of it as well, but spiritual gifts empowered by the actual Spirit of God. And then in Jeremiah 29, we read that God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. We've been given color markers, we have been given a picture to draw. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually gives a really brilliant metaphor for how this is flushed out and how this is meant to look in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by the Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Now, we might hear that and think, yeah, great. I've heard that before. That sounds awesome. I love that. I believe in that for sure. 
And yet, I also know, not only from my own direct experience that I sometimes battle every single day, but also working as a pastor for the last 15 plus years, many of us spend countless hours a day, sometimes stretching for weeks or months or years or decades, comparing our colored markers and the picture we're painting with the markers and the pictures of others. Every day, we look at friends or siblings or neighbors or strangers or co-workers and find ourselves wishing, I wish I had those colors, I wish I was painting that picture. We think, I want their gifts, I want their talents, I want their skills, I want their job, I want their salary or that home. I want those in-laws. I want that car. I want that boat. I want this RV. We look at our colors and picture and we think, this is not what I want with my life. I don't want these colors. I don't want to have to draw this picture. I don't want to deal with this sickness in myself or someone in my family. I don't want to travel so much. I would like to travel more. I don't want to be in this financial bracket. I don't want this career. I'd prefer that career. I don't want to deal with the struggles of my kids like this. I don't want my parents at all. I don't want parents at all. Some of you probably think that. I just wish I didn't have parents at all. We think this is not the life I was expecting. These are not, these are not my plans. This is not the way I planned it out. This isn't the picture I wanted to be painting, and especially not with these colors that I've been given. So then we start trying to color a picture of the life we want, but we're using the wrong colors. God gave us specific, specific colors. We think, well, I'm just going to take my life into my own hands. I'm going to set my own plan, do what I want to do. So we say, I'm going to start painting a picture of my own life with whatever I got. But it never quite fits. It never quite looks right. We never live with peace or contentment or joy because we're painting the wrong picture with the colors that we've been given. And we try to color an ocean with orange or a forest with blue or the desert with green or the sky with red. And we become frustrated and resentful and angry with God, constantly wishing, why wouldn't you have just given me different colors? Why wouldn't you have given me a different picture to paint? And this game of comparison can be extremely destructive. Gosh, especially in the world of social media and the internet where comparison is so incredibly easy. And the danger of social media where we spend all day comparing our reality with others' highlights. That is a dangerous and unfair comparison. We've all heard the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side. But I actually don't love this phrase because it implies that we're all supposed to have a green grass lawn. Well, what if God has called and gifted and challenged each one of us to not have a green grass lawn? Maybe our yard is supposed to be sand or trees, or rocks, or dirt. Maybe it's a patio, or a dock. Maybe we're meant not to even have a yard. We're called to live in an apartment, or high-rise condo, or a houseboat. Saying the grass is always greener actually invites comparison because it makes us think we all have to have the exact same lawn, and that's naturally going to bring about the question of, well, whose is best and whose is worse? I think the healthier, more biblical way to look at it would be seeking God and say, God, what is my front yard meant to be? And what are the colors that you have given me to make this the absolute best I possibly can. Andy Stanley, who's the pastor of North Point Church, they taught an entire sermon series called The Comparison Trap, which is fantastic. I highly encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, not only is it a great series, but that title is perfect because comparison is exactly that. It is a trap we fall into. 
But one thing they talked about that I thought was so interesting is they said each of us is using something or someone as a mirror. We are all comparing our lawn to somebody else's. We're all comparing our colored markers and our picture with somebody else's. So the question becomes this. What or who am I using as a reference point to determine if I'm doing okay? I'd ask you the same thing. What or who are you using, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, what or who are you using as a mirror, as a reflection, as a comparison, as a reference point to determine whether you're doing okay? And if so, are you exhausted from trying to keep up with blank, of trying to match blank? Am I allowing what others have to keep me enjoying from what I have? Am I using other people as a mirror, or am I using what God has given me as a mirror? Because our perspective oftentimes is what drives our discontent. And speaking of perspective, I want to remind us of something that I've talked about many times in, in my teaching, so it will be redundant, but hopefully a good reminder, which is just the perspective shift that we always need to remind ourselves when it comes to God, which is that He is first and foremost our Heavenly Father, not a judgmental, angry old man who can't wait for us to screw up, but a Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father. Even in the passage in Gideon, when the prophet speaks to the prophets of Israel, what he did not start with was, gosh, you screwed up, but I guess I'll forgive you. He spent the first 90% of that prophetic word saying, I am your God, I have freed you, I have rescued you, you are my people, I am your God, I love you, I told you not to do this because of the consequences it would lead to, and you did not listen. That was the last thing he said, just, just a heads up, yeah, if, had you followed me, man, you wouldn't be in this, but you know what, I'm going to rescue you again. And what good parent compares their children to other children 24-7? None. So why would a perfect heavenly father? The truth is that God is happy with you. He's not done with you, but he's happy with you. More than that, he is delighted by you. He is proud of you. You bring him a lot of joy. And precisely because he loves us as a perfect heavenly father does, he has given you, he has given me, he has given us a beautiful picture to color with our lives. And he has given each one of us the exact right colors to create that picture. In 1 Corinthians, that passage we read, Paul actually continues in this illustration about the different parts of the body, and he talks about how unhealthy and actually ridiculous it would be to compare our markers and our picture with the markers and pictures of others. And continuing in 1 Corinthians, he says, yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? That's real creepy to think about. Let's not spend too much time there. If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. 
How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. It makes me think of Gideon going, I'm from the weakest part of my family. Like, why? And it's like, well, sometimes the weakest are actually the most important. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. This speaks to the way that God has gifted and created and called each one of us. Transitioning this illustration to the one we're using this morning, this would be God saying, hey, if I've given you blue and orange and purple, it's going to do no good to think, why couldn't I have red and white and yellow? Because that's not what I gave you. And the more time we spend wishing we had these colors or we were painting that picture, the more we're actually going to miss the joy and the harmony and the purpose and the peace that we can get from using the exact colors God gave us to paint the exact picture that God gave us to paint. We are meant to celebrate what God has given others and leverage what God has given us. It does not matter what he's given others. What has he given you? What has he given me? Now, it might not be, in fact, it probably won't be what you expected. It might not be, it probably won't be what you wanted initially. But God, as our Heavenly Father, who sees time, in, the entirety of time in front of him in his hand, knows much better and much more than we do. And he has given each one of us the perfect picture to paint. One of the Ten Commandments uh, is do not covet, which, uh, you know, of course, we've heard all memorized the Ten Commandments. But this, I've always misunderstood do not covet. I was like, you know, this is mainly just about like, hey, don't look at other stuff and want it. I'm like, gosh, that's hard. There's a lot of commercials on every single, uh, you know, sports game I watch. That's going to be really hard to do. But uh, do not covet it is not about condemning us wanting other stuff. What it's more about is shifting our perspective to see all the amazing things that we already have. It's not like don't want other things. It's like, yeah, but look what you have. As Sheryl Crow says brilliantly, it's not about having what you want. It's wanting what you've got. Let's cue up that song real quick. No, that'd be great. Here's the problem with comparison. The problem with comparison is it's all about me. It's not about what someone else has, someone else does. It is all about not having or not doing what I want or I think would be best. And then we fall into this trap. And the really dangerous part is when we fall into that trap, what we start doing is we start feeling better about ourselves when someone else has less. When we're comparing our stuff with other people's, our markers, the, life, the, the painting of our life that we are meant to paint, when we start comparing that with other people's, then when somebody else has less or they screw up or they mess up, we suddenly feel better about ourselves because they're suffering because we wish they, they had their thing. That's not the way that we want to live. That's not the heart 
that we want to have. We don't want to rejoice in others' failures or misfortunes. We want to celebrate what they have again and leverage what we have. And instead of spending our lives constantly comparing, what if we shifted our perspective to look down and see what God has put in our hands? See the colors that he has put in our hands and look up and see the picture that he is calling us to paint. Not the one we wish we could paint, not the one we thought we were going to paint when we were 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 50, but saying, okay, this, this is what God's given me. This is what he wants me to color. How can I do this the best I possibly can? See, Gideon thought he knew the picture God wanted him to paint. But God knew better. Which is why when the angel of the Lord showed up, he didn't say, hey, farmer, we're going to change everything. Gideon thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm just a farmer, I'm going to hide, I'm, just, I'm, I'm resentful towards God, I can't believe this, so I'm just going to farm and be re- resentful. And the angel shows up and said, hey, mighty warrior, you're coloring it wrong. Here's what God wants to do. God sent this angel to shift Gideon's perspective and show him the picture he was actually meant to color. And once he did that, the miraculous power of God showed up. And it's why we're talking about him thousands of years later. Because Gideon embraced the colors, embraced the picture that he was meant to draw. So, here's my challenge today. is for every single one of us to do some reflection and ask God if we have been living a life of resentment and dissatisfaction with the colors he has given us and or the picture that he has called us to draw. Have I, have you, have we been spending too much of our time looking at the colors and pictures of others wishing that was what God had called us to? And in doing so, completely missing exactly what God has placed before us. Because the truth is, he made us exactly how he wanted He did not make any mistakes. He is happy and pleased and proud and delighted with every single one of us. He has gifted and equipped and called every single one of you, myself included, for a specific purpose, for a specific calling, with specific colors, to be a part of his body, to be a part of the kingdom. And what happens is when we embrace the colors God has given us, when we embrace the picture he has called us to draw, it makes something beautiful. When we take the colors God has given us and say, all right, Lord, this is not the life I thought I'd be living. I want it to be this. I want it to be this. I want it to be this. But God, you've given me this. I'm so thankful. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this. And we say, all right, God, what's the, what's the picture you want me to, to draw? What's the, what's the picture my life is meant to make? And we embrace that. It can be something beautiful. And then someday, when we stand before our Heavenly Father and all the pictures of every single one of his children are brought together, and he says, man, you, you took what I gave you and you painted exactly what I wanted you to paint. And it's combined with the tens of hundreds of millions of other one of his children who have taken their colors, embraced it, and painted exactly what he wanted. It creates something unspeakably beautiful. That's called the kingdom of God. In Philippians 4, Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. 
It's like the opposite of the American dream. <laughs> Learn to be content with whatever I have. Not always needing more, not always wanting that, not wishing I was them, not wishing I had that. I've been content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you have heard that passage before? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Incredible passage, powerful passage. Did you know that it came on the tail end of talking about living in contentment with maybe nothing, with maybe an empty stomach, with maybe not what we thought God was going to do with our lives? I can be content, I can be at peace, because I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And we do this, we can experience this life of peace, we can experience this life of contentment by embracing the colors and the picture that God has given us. Embracing the gifts and the talents, the situation, the family, the relationships, the career that God has given us. Because God has not given those colors to anybody else but you. Because he is a picture for you to draw. Another way to say that would be this. Matthew 65, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So, as we enter into our lives with the colors that God has given us, what would it look like to spend every single day painting the picture that God has called us to paint in our homes as a parent, as a spouse, as a son, as a daughter? Paint the picture that God has called you to paint in your school as a student or a teacher or a principal or custodian? in our neighborhoods, as neighbors and board members and walking our dogs, in our workplaces as employees or employers or tech support or HR or everywhere in between. How much more freedom and joy can we experience from our lives when we stop looking at the colors and the pictures of others, wishing that was ours? How much more contentment will we have when we stop with our focus out here and we focus down here and go, gosh, these colors are beautiful. Even if it's like black, gray, and white, that's just, you're meant to paint a goth picture. That's cool. Go for it. That's what God's called you to. How much more contentment when we look down and think, this is what God's given me. He's not giving this to anybody else. These are, these are the colors that God has given me and he's called me to something. I mean, I'm going to make the most beautiful picture I possibly can with whatever he's given me. Now, there might be a period of mourning. There might be a period of surrender. There might be a period of letting go. I get that. All of us have experienced something in our life that did not go the way that we thought it was going to go. All of us have experienced zigs and zags and left turns and U-turns in a way that we thought, this is not what I planned. This is not what I expected. This usually happens to somebody else, not to, not to me. This was always like an on-the-news kind of thing. I don't understand why this is happening to me. And in those moments, it's not like God was like, whoops. I didn't, uh, didn't mean for you to have uh, lime green. I, sh I should have changed that. God's like, no, this is the life I've called you to. And the more time we spend seeking his kingdom above all else, embracing what he has given us, man, what comes out is just beautiful. So would you stand as we close in prayer?
and then we're going to auction this off starting at $10,000. Do I say, no, yeah, we're not going to do that. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, Heavenly Father. God, I, I oh, never want to forget that just first and foremost, you are our Father. Even the way your son, when Jesus called you Abba, it meant Daddy. You are a father who delights in us, that we bring you joy. We are not perfect, but we bring you joy. And like any good parent, you want us to live the absolute best life possible. But unlike every other parent, you are the one who has created us and knit us and called us and gifted us and knew the plan and the purpose for our lives before you spoke the first word of creation. So Lord, I pray this morning, whether we're listening or watching online or we are in this room right now, God, that we would walk out of here with just a new sense of peace and contentment. Knowing that we are not meant to live our life striving for something else. Striving for different colors, striving for a different picture. And in doing so, spending countless hours and days and maybe years in anxiety and discontentment. But God, your peace would just settle on this place right now. And we would step forward into our homes and jobs and schools and neighborhoods and paint the best picture we possibly can. Because it will be something beautiful. Because it's from you. Jesus, you said all things are possible through you. Through your strength, through your presence, through your power. Including peace and contentment. God, thank you for your presence, Lord, in this room. And I pray, I know, Lord, that you will go with us. Your word promises you are always with us. And God, I pray that we'd be more aware of it every single day. I pray this in your name. Amen.